Welcome. You're listening to Gravity Healthcare Hacks with your host, Melissa Brown, Chief Operating Officer from Gravity Healthcare Consulting and self-professed healthcare nerd. Monthly, we will provide industry expertise and tips to help keep your feet firmly on the ground in the world of healthcare. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast today. The SNF proposed rule fiscal year 2022, what it means for you now. I am so excited to connect you with one of the most dynamic and engaging colleagues I have the pleasure to work with on a regular basis. You know, she can turn a dry compliance issue into a riveting clinical discussion, bringing thought-provoking perspective. I want to introduce you to Irene Henrik, Vice President of Quality and Compliance for Flagship Rehabilitation and for Edge Therapy Solutions, a new ownership management model for therapy. Welcome, Irene. Hello, Melissa. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. It is always my pleasure to engage in my fellow co-nerd like you. We always have the most interesting and, like you said, most thought-provoking discussions related to all things skilled nursing facility and all the regulations and new proposals that are continuously coming out. So thank you again for inviting me. Yes, it's wonderful to have a discussion with a co-nerd for sure. (laughs) So today we're going to be picking your brain for thoughts on the recently released SNF proposed rule for fiscal year 2022. Now, it is just the proposed rule, but it's jam-packed with huge implications for SNF providers and for the therapy realm as well. I want to home in on some of the key items that were released in the proposed rule and discuss them with you. Now, of course, we know some of the things uh, aren't going to be for sure until the final rules pass later this year, and even we'll discuss some of the things that we think might get punted down the road beyond that. But I want to get your take on what SNFs and therapy providers ought to be doing now in response to these impactful changes. So let's start off with some of the most basic financials, the market basket increase. CMS proposes that the SNF PPS payment update is 1.3% for fiscal year 2022, which is an increase in payments of $444 million compared to fiscal year 2021. Now, unfortunately, this is quite a bit lower than in some recent years, most of which had a net increase over 2%. What are your thoughts, Irene, about this year's increase and the reasoning behind it? I'm not surprised, Melissa. The numbers do not surprise me at all. I think that as we are all aware, there has been an overall increase expenditure by CMS and just the federal government for healthcare in general due to COVID. So I anticipated, and I'm not surprised that they have found some ways to reduce their spending um, starting with fiscal year 2022. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So now let's talk about one of the really hot topics coming off the proposed rule about PDPM. I've already had several clients reaching out to me about the content in the proposed rule around PDPM. We've been preaching for a few years now, you and I both, that at some point the ruse was going to be over and CMS would come knocking to do a recalculation. There's speculation out there that I just heard recently that the impact could be $12 a day. CMS says their impact in the shift from RUGS4 to PDPM was $1.7 million, which is 5.3% over the cost of RUGS4. Now, in their accounting, they say only 0.3% of that was an impact from COVID, which I think is actually a lot less than what the actual COVID impact really was. What are your thoughts? 
I have a lot of thoughts on this, actually. Um, you know, having worked with you very closely on studying the PDPM reimbursement model chains change, as you will, and the impact on SNF and especially on therapy provision, I think that as Medicare combs, as they call it, they're combing through their data. I just read an article this morning that that's what John Kane is saying, is that I'm not dis disputing the numbers that they're throwing out, but I really think that they have used the data for the first quarter of PDPM, which was October 1st of 2019 to the end of the year of 2019 as their primary source of combing through their data, trying not to include COVID data. Now for as big of a program shift as PDPM was, I think that is not fair for skilled nursing providers nor for therapy providers to use a quarter's worth of data to see what the implications were as far as shift in delivery of practice. I also wanna point out that therapy providers um, based on all the, the things that I've seen, the, the conferences that I, attend, that I had attended were very um, upfront and very honest with CMS to say, we have worked within the bounds of your reimbursement system, whether it's rugs, and we plan to do so with PDPM. Our goal is always to provide quality care. We understand that the outcomes are the most important thing. And as therapy providers, we will continue to work with our partner providers in the skilled nursing sector to make sure that that is achieved. But we will also, this is also a business. We also have to remain financially viable as does our customer. And we have to work together so that we can continue to provide quality care and also be able to hire skilled therapists, skilled people in the skilled nursing facility. So that dramatic change that, Medicare describes in their initial data findings for the first quarter, I think that that is a reactionary change. When there is a big reimbursement change like this, everybody's trying to figure out how they can continue to provide good care and also survive in the process. So I don't think personally, from the compliance perspective, I love when they say that, hey, these were the changes in numbers that we saw, but the outcomes didn't change. So, of course, that's a big win, not just for therapy providers, but for the skilled nursing providers. But the decreases, the drastic and dramatic decreases that they're describing, I think are reactionary. And we're almost like we were in the experimental period. And I think with COVID hitting us right around Q2 of 2020, it's just not enough time to be able to say this data is purely not COVID directed. So I hope, fingers crossed, that with all the comments that are going to be going to Medicare or that Medicare is going to be receiving prior to them um, rolling out the final rule, that they're going to see this and that they're going to realize that perhaps you know, those two quarters, the, the I, I want to call it the soft opening of PDPM, and then we got hit right in the space with COVID, and COVID is still ongoing in the last four quarters, that they will give the skilled nursing facility sector a little bit more time to readjust and recalibrate, to use their own words, to recalibrate our service delivery and the way we're 
connecting the dots for the data and the delivery of care. So that is, that's my reaction to it. And that's my hope that CMS is able to see um, when they do roll out the final rule. Yes, Irene, I can totally see what you're saying. You know, the proposed rule also states, moreover, we do believe that there's clear evidence that PDPM alone is impacting certain aspects of SNF patient classification and care provision. You referenced this uh, a few minutes ago. For example, through fiscal year 2019, the average number of therapy minutes SNF patients received per day was approximately 91 minutes. Beginning almost immediately with PDPM implementation and well before the onset of the pandemic, the average number of therapy minutes in SNF patients received per day dropped to approximately 62, or a decrease of over 30%. Given both the immediacy and ubiquity of this change in the SNF data, without any concurrent change in the SNF population, it is clear that this overall decrease in the amount of therapy services provided to SNF patients is a result of PDPM implementation and not other factors. A number of media articles further corroborated this finding, which identified significant changes in therapy staffing and care directives at the outset of PDPM. Now, all of that was actually in the SNF proposed role. As a therapist myself, I find some of their conclusions troubling as the research shows us that outcomes haven't gone down. So there hasn't been any negative result of the change level of therapy provision. What do you think the fallout will be? And do you think the conclusions CMS is drawing here are fair? I think fair is a hard word because I think that CMS, again, is combing through their data and looking to see what would be the most efficient and easiest way to recalibrate. And I don't mean to undermine their decision-making by calling it easiest and most efficient, but that would make the most sense as far as if they're trying to get to that budget neutrality point as, as quickly as they can, which is their goal. I understand that. I think just like I mentioned earlier, the data from the first quarter of a huge mo payment model change is probably not enough data, in my opinion, from the provider perspective to make huge changes in recalibration. I certainly hope that if they proceed with any type of recalibration that Medicare decides for that recalibration to be in a tiered manner. I think that's only fair with a limited amount of time that they are considering with their data points. Um, I also do wanna say that I appreciate Medicare also looking at some data points in COVID and what types of admissions increased and what types of care changed or increased. I think what wasn't mentioned in the proposed rule, which I hope they're taking into consideration is that therapy providers, as well as skilled nursing providers during the height of what was an unprecedented pandemic used a new reimbursement model and tried their best as best as they can in a, in, a, in a new territory, really, to continue to provide skilled care under very rigorous infection control guidelines, rightfully so, and hopefully with the services that were provided still came out on top as far as outcomes were concerned. So I think that 
if they do proceed with any type of recalibration, I hope that they consider the data points that were impacted by COVID that changed the most dramatically during the first quarter and realized that was this a malicious intent to just drop minutes for the sake of it? Was it a reaction to the payment change, to the delivery of care, to the to the newness and trying to learn the new system, you know, let's be honest, there are always going to be entities out there that are going to take advantage of a payment change. Mm -hmm. That is just reality. But I would like to think that most providers, um, SNFs and therapy providers wanted what was best for both and keeping the resident in the center of all of these discussions. And I think realizing that focusing on functional treatments and focusing on section GG tasks, which is really what is required to promote a safe and successful discharge, became the focus of most therapy providers. And I think that is the right thing to do. I think that is the right trajectory. And again, that first quarter was an adjustment phase. And I think that Medicare needs to really take that into consideration. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, um, having worked intimately with multiple therapy companies and also through Gravity, the consulting that we do for in-house programs, I have seen the struggle that providers have gone through, the therapy providers, to make a determination about what the right number of minutes should have been for each patient. And I know the conversations that were had behind closed doors, which was really about how do we most appropriately apply this, not how can we make more money. And the truth is, When you start breaking down the numbers, there really isn't enough reimbursement at the rate it is right now for us to give any more therapy services than we are at this point in time. So I really think that CMS needs to take a better calculation of the real costs associated with providing the services that we're providing and not just focus on the mere hourly rate of a therapist. And that's the only thing that factors into how they come up with the reimbursement. So I completely agree. There's really not a lot of wiggle room left here for therapy providers and even in-house programs to remain solvent on the therapy side. I agree, Melissa. And if I may speak from the flagship standpoint, I know that you and I work closely together as well. Um, And even from the edge standpoint, we did not take clinical decisions lightly. We looked at the program, at the reimbursement model as a whole, understood that the reimbursement change was meant to define and meet the clinical profile and thus the resource utilization, the skilled nursing setting, and made sure that the way we moved forward and the way we educated our therapist had a focus on what the clinical needs were of the resident and what therapy's role was in meeting those needs of the resident. So I think the intentions, I know that our intentions were resident-centered So I hope, I hope that there is enough data to demonstrate that in, you know, in the national numbers that Medicare is looking at. Yes, absolutely. You know, I read an analysis from NASL that said, as a result of this analysis, the resultant PDPM parity adjustment factor would be lowered from 46% to 37% for each of the PDPM case mix adjusted components. In other words, they're proposing that they're gonna drop 5% reimbursement on each one of the five payment categories. 
If this were applied to fiscal year 2022, CMS uh, estimated it would result in a reduction of SNF spending of 5% or approximately $1.7 billion. To be clear, CMS is seeking comment on this methodology, methodology and adjustment. It is not yet even proposing for sure what the adjustment is going to be, but CMS indicates that if this adjustment were to be implemented, they would consider a multi-year implementation of the reduction, so they wouldn't hit us all at one time. CMS is seeking comment on its methodology and on a potential multi-year implementation of the reduction. Do you have any thoughts on what strategies CMS might employ or what you would recommend they consider to achieve budget neutrality? Or should they even be trying to achieve budget neutrality, which is currently what the law requires? I have a lot of thoughts on that. I think, again, my hope is that they suppress or push any type of recalibration to another year. I just think that skilled nursing facilities need at least a year to bounce back census-wise, um, financial viability-wise, and so forth, and be able to continue um, to service Medicare A beneficiaries in that setting. Secondly, I would recommend and hope that they would consider a tiered recalibration. I think that that tiered recalibration should focus on what items Medicare sees in their data that is being um, misutilized perhaps, I don't wanna use that word, or maybe in the initial rollout of the program, in theory, they thought it was gonna be this, but the data is now showing a different trajectory. And maybe those are the items that maybe they can pull back a little bit. I think they should also look at the type of residents or patients that did go into the skilled nursing facility facilities during this period and see what resources were provided, what payment was available that they were willing to provide but was not utilized. Big example, in my opinion, is total joint replacement residents. Those patients, as we know, even prior to PDPM, are no longer going to the skilled nursing facility. Most of the time, unless they have significant comorbidities, they're going straight home. They're receiving home health outpatient, rightfully so. We want to take advantage of the, the benefits of the post-acute care continuum. We don't want to make a sniff stop just for the sake of it. But also, Medicare had tiered the payments for those total joint placements to be the highest. So are they looking at, hopefully they are looking at facilities who continue to attract those types of residents unnecessarily. Um, so I'm hoping they're looking at those types of things because they would not only be easy targets, for lack of better term, but also appropriate targets. You know, those people perhaps are not supposed to be in the skilled nursing facility. So a recalibration in the sense of which skilled nursing facilities nationally are demonstrating the correct application of what PDPM was meant for versus just a blind targeted recalibration without consideration of those items. Yeah, and you know, I think there is almost a hidden COVID effect that there's no way they could pull from the metadata. And I mean that on two perspectives. The first one being that, especially for, the early months in um, 2020 with the, with the pandemic, 
Lots of patients had COVID and no one could get test results back to be able to confirm it. There wasn't even an ICD-10 code for several months, all those kinds of things we were navigating through. So I'm sure there are lots of patients that absolutely had COVID, but that's not going to show up anywhere on a UBO4 that gets sent to Medicare for them to do their metadata analysis. I also think one of the other impacts was hospitals in locations where there was a lot of COVID uh, pressure um, were trying to transition patients out of uh, a skilled level or out of the hospital into SNFs as soon as possible. And so the acuity level in some ways during 2020 and leading into 2021 even has been artificially inflated because patients that should have gone out to the hospital didn't, they stayed there and skilled in place. And patients that would have normally stayed longer at the hospital had a few more acute days there before they transitioned to SNF were transitioning even sooner. So I think there are some of those hidden inflated impacts of COVID that are also reflected in the, the change in payment. And I hope that um, CMS does exactly as you says and give, give this another year, because I think when we look uh, fiscal year 2022, I think that's actually going to give us some actionable data of what is normal under PDPM. It doesn't surprise me they're going to make a recalibration because they propose the exact same systems and processes and documentation that we were following in 2016 was what we were going to do starting with PDPM. And of course, that didn't happen. Every provider made the adjustments as necessary to make sure they were getting the reimbursement that they deserved under the new payment model. So I think it was an unrealistic starting point. And I hope that they don't use that as an opportunity to, you know, unfairly make an adjustment at this point. I like to call it, Melissa, a fall start. So mm -hmm. we were all gung-ho, we were ready to go, and we did everything in theory to make sure that we were you know, following the rules and be able to continue to, to deliver um, care as we should. But then, you know, at the, starting at the end of um, 2019 and going into 2020 with COVID kind of in the air, things started for, again, for lack of better way of describing it, becoming a little fuzzy. So mm -hmm. here we are trying to focus on this new reimbursement model and then being hit with, with new and strange acuities that didn't have a diagnosis code, um, staff getting sick, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, that were unavoidable and yet are possibly impacting this data combing process that Medicare is, is doing in order to do this recalibration. Yeah, it's been quite an extraordinary year. And Truly, let's hope that as history has shown, a pandemic is a once in a lifetime experience. I surely hope that that's the same thing that we find, but truly extraordinary to see those two things converge at the same time and amazing to see us come through it on the other side. And I just hope CMS doesn't um, have sort of a knee jerk reaction and make a change too soon. So shifting gears, the final piece of the proposed rule was about changes to value-based purchasing. What are your takes from this part of the proposed rule? And do you think they will make any changes with the final rule? I think that what is in the proposed rule now is actually very smart. So they are proposing to suppress the skilled nursing facility 30-day all-cause readmission measure because of COVID. And I think that is the right thing to do. You mentioned earlier the acuities that the nursing homes were having to deal with, whether it was a shorter hospital stay because the hospitals were getting overwhelmed or whether the skilled nursing facilities were appropriately applying the public health emergency waivers for the three-day hospitalization and taking on more acute residents from their community or from the outside community 
in order to assist with the overflow in the hospital. There were a lot of factors that the skilled nursing facilities were perhaps not prepared for because we were experiencing a, a huge unprecedented situation. And so I think that is the right move to do. Um, despite that, I know Medicare still has to follow the rules and they still have to pay, you know, follow their payback policies. And I think what they're trying to do is instead of paying anywhere from a range of 50 to 70% of the SNFs back incentives, they're trying to cap it at 60%. So they're not paying out as much. Um, I, but I think that any adjustment to that is only going to be fair for the skilled nursing facilities. What I'm very excited about, because I know we've been stuck with one measure under the value-based uh, purchasing program for a couple of years, is that they are proposing to add a few more measures to the value-based purchasing program, which is, again, very exciting to me. So they want to add the measure of function. Now, they haven't defined exactly how they're going to do this. Um, I, would, I would think that it would have to have something to do with Section GG, because that's really their big function tool at this time. Um, they also want to add a measure for patient safety, as well as a measure for care coordination, which really, really excites me because I think when they're talking about post-acute care and perhaps looking at a unified payment model for the post-acute care, I think the number one thing that everybody needs to be thinking about and moving towards and you know learning about is care coordination. There, there can't be... Um, you know, silos, SNF as a silo, home health as a, a silo. All these entities need to be talking to each other, promoting the best care for the resident and having agreements on where the resident should be and where the resident is going to receive and will receive the most benefit from the care that they're receiving. What part of the post-acute care continuum? And lastly, they want to add a measure for patient care experience. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to measure this. So again, something very exciting. You know, any new measures is usually a lot more work for everybody who's collecting the data and submitting the data. But I think that CMS vision of moving the post-acute care, specifically the SNF, the SNF experience to not just a an outcomes-based experience, but as well as a positive experience for the Medicare beneficiaries is the, the correct move in this day and age. I think it's not just important to, to provide services to, to the resident and for them to survive their skilled stay, but for them to come out of their skilled stay and say, yes, that was the right move for me. That was an amazing experience. I would go back there if I needed to. I would tell my neighbors to go there, you know, almost like the Ritz Carlton experience. Why not? Healthcare is a big industry and, and it should be, be able to provide just as customer satisfying experience as, you know, a hotel or a resort and that sort of thing, especially for our elder residents, um, our Medicare beneficiaries who who are ill. I mean, I feel like they deserve it. We can provide it. We have the skill set to do so. So I think it's the, definitely the move in the right direction. Yeah, that's what I'm really excited about too. You know, in this Google Yelp five-star rating kind of world that we're all in, it's kind of surprising this hasn't happened yet. And there wasn't really a government-owned, street-facing, resident-facing 
platform or ability for them to share feedback and to give ratings on their own. You know, for a, a system that purports itself to be truly resident centered, it's amazing it's taken us this long to get here. I'm really excited about it too, because I think all of those quality items matter and they should matter to patients. And when I have a friend come to me and say, Hey, I need to go to a nursing home. Where should I go? How can I figure out? We go right to, you know, care, compare and look at all those data metrics and make a decision. But that element of quality of life and just the uh, resident experience, I think that element is missing. And the only way we can get that is through some sort of resident satisfaction survey or something like that. So I'm really excited about it too. I think it'll add some really meaningful data. And I think most importantly, it will give the best nursing homes the ability to really be on an even playing field with everybody else because, or really give them a leg up because I think residents are going to go out of their way to really support those communities. And that's really going to be reflected. And I think actually the resident satisfaction number will probably be the most impactful, impactful data point on all of nursing home compare or care compare as it is now the most impactful data point for families and residents making decisions about care. So I'm really excited for it too. So for my last question, Irene, if you could advise a SNF owner today, what would you recommend as your top two or three strategies to begin to implement in light of the proposed rule as it stands today? This is not new. I've said this several times before, but I think it is even more important now. I, I'm finding that the customers that I am engaging with are more knowledgeable. So I'm very happy about that. But I still find some customers who do still need to move forward in their ability to know how to mine their data, where to find their data, and understand their data. So I think that's my first strategy is know your data. Where do you find your data? Can you engage your therapy provider and gain some of that data? Does your EMR have the capability to provide you with that data and understand your data? You know, customer service is important. Communication is important, but no one can dispute you when you're presenting and communicating with data, with hard data. And I think you need to understand that. And I think decisions in skilled nursing facilities, in elder care communities need to be driven by data, whether it's operational decisions, financial decisions, staffing decisions, and so forth and so on. The second strategy that I am very passionate about is that skilled nursing facilities identify where to put their resources most. I think that waste, a lot of waste, whether it's time, money, resources, staffing, really come or stem from a lack of knowledge and inefficient workflows. And I think that there are still communities out there who are stuck in the same workflows that they've been doing in a different payment model. And that's not going to work. You're not going to be on the winning side of this equation in that case. So I think that an administrator or a, a leader who has that vision to say, this is the goal of PDPM. This is the goal of quality measures. This is the goal of value-based purchasing or the goal of managed care payers that are in my community or in my you know, jurisdiction. And in order for my team to achieve that, to deliver what they need, to produce the data that they need, these are the people that I need, these are the skill set that I need that my people to have, and these are how the workflows should 
should work. Because I think that being afraid to move in that direction and not having the courage to face that and, and, you know, talk to your people who are kind of stuck in a rut. I think that is going to be, again, that is not going to put you on the winning side of this. I think that financial reimbursement equals good quality care. It is not exclusive of each other. And I think a good leader realizes that and a good leader can drive both financial health as well as quality service delivery. So those are my two strategies is know your data, understand it, and put your resources into efficiency and knowledge for your workforce. Well, Irene, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your valuable insights today. I hope our listeners have enjoyed the banter between two true healthcare nerds, sort of bringing the dry words on the page to life and, and beginning to think about what these things mean for us today and in the future. I know you've given our listeners so much to think about and begin to strategize on right away. And I know you would join in with me to encourage everyone to take this as an opportunity to be an active part of adequacy now, I'm sorry, advocacy now between now and the final rule is there is so much at stake. Melissa, thank you so much for having me today. Again, we could talk for days, just you and I going back and forth between all of this. We have a mutual goal in that we are both clinicians at heart and we love patient care. And I think that love and that drive and that hunger for knowledge and being able to impart that knowledge has hopefully made us both effective at delivering messages that will um, move healthcare, especially the skilled nursing facility sector in my, in my realm, um, just onward and upward. Yes. Thank you, Irene. And if you would like to learn more about flagship rehabilitation or edge therapy solutions, please see the links in the podcast description, or feel free to reach out to me directly for introductions. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed today's content, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Remember, it's not just what you know, but how you apply it that makes all the difference. See you next time.